This podcast may contain strong language, references of a sexual nature, and bad advice. When life gets you down, your car just won't start. Agony art. It's time for Agony Art. If you've reached a dead end, you're not sure what to do. Agony Art. Well, Agony Art is for you. At times life is grand, you've got the world in your hands. Then somehow you drop that ball. Drop that ball. Instead of watching it fall, give Agony Art a call. Hello! <laughs> Welcome to Agony Art. Oh, God. <laughs> Regular podcast. We've got hot coffees here, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Agony Art, a regular podcast in which three consumers of books, music, and films try to solve your problems using examples from the great art of our age, or more likely just leave you with a reading, listening, and watching list that you can enjoy in your spare time. My name is Aaron, I'm an author and a slow reading bookworm, and I have Carl, our film buff, and Liam, our music expert, here with me in our swanky futuristic studio say hello lads i've been downgraded why you you called me a guru last week and now i'm merely an expert <laughs> you hardly ever do your homework <laughs> i'm always <That's> buff <laughs> hi everyone hello um, i've mentioned to my loved ones that we're making this podcast oh i thought you meant us <laughs> <laughs> no you're not my loved ones and to be honest i've been getting I've been disappointed with the reaction that I've been getting. I don't think I've really been explaining the concept of the podcast well enough. And I think that if we're going to be successful with this venture, we need a snappy and efficient and exciting way of introducing it to people. Like an elevator pitch. So So, give me your suggestions. Well, elevator, average time, what, 15 seconds? Mm. Carl, I'm going to time you. Three, two, one, go. So it's a podcast that just wasted words, wasted more words. Oh, oh my gosh. shit! Um, you got a problem? Yeah, we'll solve it. Send it in to the mailbox, and we'll resolve it. <laughs> Ding! Did it have to be a rap? <laughs> no, I kind of liked it. Yeah, that's where I instinctively go. <laughs> All right. Right, Liam, I've got a watch too. Yeah. We've, all, we've all got timing instruments. <laughs> Ready, steady, go. It's a cross between an agony art, agony art column and a media studies course. Yeah, Liam, you didn't set it. You just oh, Did I not? No. I thought I did. No. <laughs> That's why I rapped. Well, what I was, remember a rap. So what was wrong with... What, what, how would you add you sales? You didn't drag me in. You didn't... Tell me why I need to listen to it. Oh. You need this podcast. <laughs> All right? <laughs> you need this podcast more than this podcast needs you. Don't, don't you're a sad little man. We'll make you happy. That's how you sell, Liam. <laughs> I think we might uh, need to work on this. <laughs> yeah. I think we should get someone who knows about marketing in to help us. Well, how about we send it out to the, the podcast listeners and oh, say, yeah. if you can think of a snappy elevator pitch for this podcast that you're hopefully enjoying... If not, why are you still listening? Yeah, you've made it to episode five. Unless at the time they listened, episode five was the latest one and they just pressed the first one in the list. Maybe that should be our slogan. You've made it this far, why not carry on? (laughs) (laughs) That's my slogan in my love life. (laughs) And Um, now I'm married, so (laughs) it works. (laughs) Yeah, so so instead of getting into actual marketing, we're going to get free marketing from our listeners. 
yeah, listeners, yeah. spread the word and tell us how we should spread the word. <laughs> Do all of our jobs for us. If anyone wants to come and record it instead of us, let me know. <laughs> if anyone wants to host it, is there any film buffs out there? <laughs> all right, so that's pretty much unsolved, but so are all of our problems. So before we begin, I've got to point out that none of us are experienced counsellors and we can't promise our advice will be any good. The biggest problem we've had to solve this week was coming up with an elevator pitch to promote our podcast, which is, it turns out, unpromotable. <laughs> I mean, give them more time, we might be able to cut this up again. <laughs> no, it's over, Liam. We're really only here to have fun, so if you're having a really hard time, I'd recommend going to our website for guidance on who to turn to. That's agonyartpodcast.com. So now we've got that out of the way, let's get on with it. Our first problem of the day. Hang on. Yeah. You've missed something here. <laughs> this is a special episode, isn't it? It is not? a special episode. It's the presenter's special. All of the problems we present today will be submitted by one of us three. Is there an issue that 40% of our episodes to date are specials? No. Okay. <laughs> so it's, it's everybody's special in their own way Carl and how, so are our episodes how have we divided the problems are we advertising that is it one each or could it be free from the same person could be who knows anything. problems could. that we present on this show Liam as are, always it's anonymous and so we have to make up names so like for mine it won't be Carl it'll be Lal maybe or <laughs> Charles or... <laughs> so our first problem of the day is I'm 10 years into a career that I never intended to have. I'm doing the job I do now, not because it was the job I always wanted to do, but because I fell into it and I happen to be quite good at it. How do I know that I'm not supposed to be doing something else? Shall I stick with what I have or risk a change of career for greater happiness? Don't you love the idea of rolling a dice? And just completely changing your career for... I don't know. I actually, like, I wouldn't, I don't think I would roll the dice and risk it all to do something else that isn't sure. I think the greatest rewards in life, it seems to me, come from taking huge risks. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just not that kind of a person. I'm too risk averse for that. And that's probably why I'll never be a multimillionaire. You love a flutter though, don't you? Yeah, but nobody gets rich from gambling really, do they? No. Not unless, like you say, you gamble a million pound on red yeah. to make two million. Then you already kind of made it. If you you already had a million. Yeah. I'd be happy with a million car. So what's, what's an appropriate name for somebody who is unhappy in their current circumstances? I don't think this person, this anonymous person who isn't any of us, but is one of us, <laughs> is necessarily unhappy. They're just, they wonder if there's something better out there. So who stargazes? And wonders. You're thinking about Professor Brian Cox. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. I thought you loved what he did. But we've, I think we've used Brian oh, two or true, three yeah. times, maybe once. <laughs> so should we call this person Cox? Yeah, sure. Cox. Yeah. Courtney. Do you think Brian Cox did that when he was in that boy band? He was like. The Ream. Yeah. Like I'm more, I'm, I want to be an astrophysicist or whatever. Well, he, he knew is. that things. Can only get better. That's true. Do you think the listeners enjoy us singing every now and again? I reckon these are the bits that make the podcast shit. <laughs> <laughs> and so we shall carry on. Yeah. I'm keeping them all in when I edit it. But... Yeah. We don't want to get too professional. <laughs> no. Um, I think this all boils down to the word vocation. 
What, what does vocation mean? Is that the thing you're meant to be doing? Jobs that you do for the love of them, regardless of the, the remuneration, I suppose. Yeah. Um, a lot, I think a lot of people would just settle for a job they're happy enough in, wouldn't they? Hmm. Yeah, that gives you a lifestyle that you, you mm. like. So someone that has definitely a vocational job, it, to my mind, would be Spider-Man. All right, he got bitten by a spider. But after that... The job chose him. Yeah, exactly. How does he make money? I wondered this. We're doing the Marvel watch through, like you, Liam. And who the fuck is paying Captain America, for instance? Shield. Is he actually, like, is he getting pay slips? Well, no, not anyone. He's doing, like, club appearances. <laughs> actually, he is like a household name, isn't he? So yeah. maybe that is. Everybody. I think I, for Captain America. <laughs> I think I saw him on Celeb VM the other day selling 20 second video clips yeah. for yeah. someone's birthday. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it's a good point. Well, Peter Parker kind of, um, he's, he's a photographer, isn't he? For the Bugle? Yeah, that's true, yeah. He's got the a day bugle? job. And, um, Daily Bugle. Daily Bugle, yeah. So, and he lives with his like, aunt still. So there's not a huge amount of overheads. Who is inexplicably young in, in Civil War. Yeah. Anyone else notice that? Your aunt can be very young though, can't she? Yeah, but... Because she didn't have to be old enough to give birth to you. I mean... When you were born. Yeah, that's true. But Aunt May, traditionally... Anyway, Carl, sorry, on, we keep interrupting you. Well, we? on the Spider-Man point, I just, I'll just i be interested to know what your um, favourite Spider-Man film was. Um, Spider-Man 3 with Tobey Maguire, the bit where he dances. Yeah? Just one bit is your favourite Spider-Man film. <laughs> I'll put, put it on repeat. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole film for me. Is Tobey Maguire your favourite Spider-Man? I feel a bit like he's... Um, I don't want to say underrated. I want to say unfairly seen as terrible a lot of people hate him don't they well it's funny you say that Aaron what do you think of Tobey Maguire I think they started a trend of superhero films we wouldn't probably have the MCU that we have today without yeah. those Spider-Man films no I agree it did kick off the. Like before that what do we have Blade Spawn that's about it really a few Superman films but yeah. some but of nothing. them weren't very good Spider-Man didn't um, universe build did it it just no, but was, it started a feeling, a vibe in superhero films, which is still persistent, like a little bit of comedy, make them fun enough to yeah. enjoy, but still enough peril that you... Yeah. I think they, yeah, it definitely created a genre, I think. It didn't yeah. make me want to... Like, when I started watching Marvel films originally, it made, like, I started reading like backstory of Iron Man and things like that. The universe building did that, but the Spider-Man didn't. But I really enjoyed it when I was a kid. And actually, there's been a resurgence of the Tobey Maguire ones where they're not. They're deemed... It might be a bit of a hipster thing to think, but because there's newer ones, but people really like them now, again. And two, Spider-Man 2 is deemed a perfect comic book film. That's the Doctor Octopus one, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. In answer to your question, though, my favourite Spider-Man is Miles Morales. Yeah. Um... In a Spider-Verse. Into yeah. Spider-verse. I've never seen it. Absolutely good. excellent. Yeah, it's really, really good. I thought it couldn't be as good as the hype. And then I watched it and I was like, this is better than the hype. Yeah. I love it so much. Funny enough, there was a Lad Bible poll of the best Spider-Man actor and the best Spider-Man film recently. And um, Spider-Man Homecoming won best film over Spider-Man 1, but only by 3%. And Tom Holland won by 14% as the best Spider-Man. I did like Tom Holland in Civil War. I thought that was, was yeah, and I think good. he's very good, and I think the films are very good as well. They've reignited Spider-Man because the Andrew Garfield ones were a dip, weren't they? 
The Andrew Garfield um, ones are summed up by the uh, lizard man that had a huge hole to carry his lizard stuff in. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, you haven't seen the newer Spider-Mans in, have you? No, I haven't. No. They are, yeah, they're a fresh air, for sure. But I think they're probably helped in that poll by the fact that they're fresher in everyone's minds. Yeah. Unless you've watched them all recently, you're not going to be able to objectively choose which was your favourite Spider-Man, are you? No. So, yeah, so the point of bringing that up is I think that's definitely a vocation. But also, can you imagine, if you were Spider-Man, would you enjoy being Spider-Man? The bits where you win would be pretty good. But yeah, on the one hand, you've got, yay, Superman, I can put you in a web, I'm Spider-Sense. But the pressure on a young, yeah, young a shoulders, would you be better off doing your job you're doing now than being Spider-Man? Probably. But he does enjoy swinging on his webs through the city, doesn't he? That would be lovely. I love doing that in the Spider-Man game. Yeah. Yeah. I feel free. <laughs> Did you play the one on PS4? Mm. Yeah, so it's good. great. Amazing. Um, so I think whilst it may, it sounds good to be Spider-Man, you know... So Cox, if you were thinking of quitting your job and becoming Spider-Man, <laughs> think twice. Have a good think about it, yeah. You just get photographer pay, lots of pressure, lots of people to build, beat up, the physicality, toll on your body... So, Cox, just in case you weren't thinking of quitting and becoming Spider-Man, I'm going to tell you about someone who had their vocation and decided to leave that. 5,000 years after leaving the labyrinth, the Minotaur has had a change of career. In, <laughs> Double glazing sounds. <laughs> in The Minotaur Takes a Cigarette Break by Stephen Sherrill, published by Canongate, the Minotaur works in a modern-day sh- restaurant as a chef. And he's an ancient being who looks grotesque to us normal human would he, folk. Would he look grotesque to you if you saw the monitor? Just like a ball with arms and legs, right? Like human yeah. arms and legs. I used to, uh, it when, would shock me quite a bit, Carl. And I don't know why it wouldn't shock you <laughs> to see a human with a bull's head. When I, was, when I was young, this is a true story, I used to have recurring nightmares of a minotaur that lived behind my mum and dad's shed. <laughs> and you, you ever have those Which dreams? Which bit was the nightmare? The, fact that you lived there or was that the fact and you were just <laughs> was there a real minotaur but you were scared of the minotaur used to wake up at night scared of Liam <laughs> no but you know you ever have those dreams where when you're in them you're so convinced they're real yeah. I used to have loads of dreams like that and then all of a sudden it'd come out from behind and I'd like you know poo my pants did he speak uh I don't remember maybe hello Liam <laughs> maybe <minotaur>. not <laughs> Um, what was his career change cigarette break he's a chef in a local restaurant this shows how much Carl listens <laughs> <laughs> I feel your wife's pain now Carl <laughs> so sorry just to, just to question you for a second him being in the labyrinth was that really a vocation I don't think it was there that was what he was was built he? for he was built to guard the labyrinth no no the, the labyrinth was built to keep him in it was it yeah. was, was David Shit. Bowie there <laughs> David Bowie was like you are a minotaur, you've got to stay in the labyrinth. <laughs> but David, I'm lost here. Ground control to minotaur. <laughs> David Bowie's not as good as your Morrissey. <laughs> oh, heaven knows the minotaur's miserable now. <laughs> um, okay, Liam. Well, let's say that the minotaur and the labyrinth were built for each other. That's a nice but incorrect sentiment. 
was the final qualification then? What, did he, what was he meant to do? What was yeah. that stopping him from doing? Uh, eating people. Killing Perseus or something. Well, there you go. He still had a change of career. He's not eating people anymore <laughs> in this book. <laughs> My point stands. So he's had a change of career. He's now a chef who cooks for people rather than cooks people. <laughs> and What's his chef name? Uh... I don't know. The Minotaur. <laughs> um, Le Minotaur. Um, so yeah, he's awkward, socially awkward, lonely. He struggles to fit in with all the people in the modern world who think he's obviously weird and grotesque. He's got a bull's head, which isn't striking for Carl, but for the rest of us would be pretty... It would be striking, but grotesque is strong. <laughs> um, bulls, bulls aren't grotesque. People aren't... Some people are grotesque. No, but... but. If you saw an amalgamation of the two, it would be a bit grotesque, wouldn't it? Yeah, maybe I don't understand the definition of grotesque. Neither do I. We're just saying it over and over again. (laughs) But he ploughs on. Maybe this isn't the job he was meant for. Maybe he was meant to be out eating people. And maybe it isn't the one he'll be doing for the rest of his existence, this job. But either way, he tries. And what we get in the end in this book is a touching story of a sad and tired former villain... Who's just doing his best to live a peaceful and happy life, make some friends, fall in love. Because maybe that's what matters most. Not the job you do, or whether it's the one that was meant for you, but just whether you're happy. As we were saying before, Carl, your happiness is paramount, really, isn't it? And if you're in a job that's good enough, Cox. Do they say what type of restaurant and what he was cooking? Uh, no. Vegan, probably. If they asked him to do steak, yeah. that'd be a bit off, wouldn't it? Yeah, I can't remember. I read it a long time ago. And it is a really good book. At least you read it. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> On this occasion, I've read this book. So there's, a, there's an 80s band that, that would, I think would echo your sentiment. Um, they're called Roxette and their single in 1988 is called Listen to Your Heart. When it's calling for you. I think you know this song better than I do, to be honest. <laughs> and it's, yeah, there's is a very... The Brian Adams one. Listen to your heart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Carl's famous impression of Brian Adams having a shit. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's a simple message, but also an important one, um, which is just saying, you know, you want you got to do what makes you happy, and if you're not happy in your current job, then it's worth looking into other options. I think. So the song was actually written um, for one of the vocalist guitarist Par Gessler. That's a, I think I'm right. I don't know, probably not, in the pronunciation of his name there. But it was written for one of his close friends to help with a decision about personal relationship issues. Uh, and it was just saying, you know, listen to your heart, do what makes you happy sort of thing. Um, but it applies to many situations. You know, just just think about what you want to do. I think it's very important. Yeah. Mm. What if your heart's telling you to do something naughty? <laughs> is, is this a segue or are you just asking? No, I'm asking, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is an admission on yeah. Carl's part. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a similar um, theme to the 1977 song uh, Don't Stop which is also on Fleetwood Mac's Rumours album um, I say that as if I spoke yeah. about that recently it's probably about, about a long five weeks ago, ago. Yeah, <laughs> a great album. that was a few weeks ago um, but it's great if you didn't listen to it last time try listening to it this time please <laughs> <laughs> and I mean I mean the chorus says it all really don't stop thinking about tomorrow it will be here better than before. Oh, that's the one. Mm. I was thinking, Don't Stop by Fleetwood Mac. I can't think how that goes. Don't stop moving. 
can you feel the music? <laughs> You're dining out on rumours, Liam. What happens when you finish that album? Uh, there's quite a few songs on it. I think I'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> a whole series, just rumours. But yeah, and, and the point I take from that, similar to the last one, is careers don't necessarily last forever. And it's good to think about what other things you want to do in the future. Yeah, I um, going back to kind of comic book movies, Batman Begins 2005, Christopher Nolan. You've broken away from your Marvel tradition. Yeah, I'm DC. Yeah. DC all the way. DCU. DCU. Traitor. DCU. <laughs> um, there's a quote in it. We've, all, we've seen the movie, I assume, right? Batman Begins? Yeah. Which one's that? It's where he begins <laughs> as Batman. The one before the Dark It's where night. Batman yeah. begins. Yeah, um, yeah it's where he's... Uh, what's his... Um, Ra's al Ghul. Ra's al Ghul, yeah. I've heard that that's incorrectly pronounced in that Raish, film. is it? And it's supposed to be Raish al Ghul. Oh, really? That's what they call him in the games, isn't it? The Arkham games. Mm. Dropped a bollock there, Christopher Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening. Yeah. Well, um, it's a great film, I think. It's not as epic as the two sequels, but it's uh, that also was groundbreaking for... It probably spawned the um, origin story. But there's a quote in it that um, Rachel tells him. It's not who we are underneath. It's what we do that defines us. Which was confusing to me at first, because it's like... So, like, it's your image that defines who you are it's what you do so you might be a great guy about like a dick but you're a dick then you're not a great guy which I suppose is true but um, what it kind of says to me is that even for us in our jobs that we might find dreary and boring sometimes you can you're more than your job so you might do that but other things you do define who you are as well so if you're not getting your if you're not fulfilling your vocation or you're not doing anything that fulfills you you can do other stuff in addition to your job that fulfills you like podcasting mm. you know um, well I've got an example of someone who fell into the wrong job totally by accident like you Cox Cat's Cradle by Kurt Vonnegut classic book and Kurt Vonnegut is a brilliant writer published by Penguin while researching for a book about atomic bong bongs <laughs> bongs <laughs> atomic bombs the protagonist is invited to a small island called San Lorenzo where he's immediately introduced to all the big, biggest wigs in the country. The president, who he meets on his first day there, has cancer and he's chosen his successor. But that man doesn't want the job. And so he, in turn, offers it to the protagonist as soon as he's got there. So just like you, Cox, the protagonist falls into a job he never intended to have, which is president of a new country. But it's not going to be easy because at his inauguration ceremony, something happens which, to be honest, might just destroy human life completely. And if he had a chance to go back and say no to that job that he fell into, he probably would. So maybe you should change career before something terrible happens. <laughs> um, now, Ice Nine is a major plot point in Cat's Cradle and it's a fictional substance which instantly freezes any body of water that it touches so it's obviously extremely dangerous imagine throwing it into an ocean the whole ocean freezes how long will it take to defrost like to the, to the bottom yeah the entire body of water isn't there a thin layer of water on your skin could it, could it freeze a person exactly so what if you swallowed a bit of ice nine we're 60% water you'd just freeze to death immediately you'd just, you'd wouldn't you no you'd just be 40% of you 
<laughs> just your legs walking around it's like onward <laughs> uh, well yes so it's made as like a weapon basically as I say you could shoot it at the enemy they're 60% water they freeze immediately Bernard Vonnegut Kurt Vonnegut's brother was a scientist have either of you heard of cloud seeding no scientists who discovered that silver iodide could be used this is in real life in cloud seeding, which cloud seeding is a method of trying to make it rain or snow by pumping chemicals into clouds with an aeroplane or silver iodide particles act as condensation nuclei. Now, this is me trying to explain something I don't fully understand. <laughs> so be patient with me. Cox will know. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so they act as condensation nuclei which means that other supercooled water vapor molecules which is what are in clouds attach themselves to it and i think they freeze around it and once they're heavy enough that big lump it falls and becomes rain okay. that's how clouds work anyway yeah. often bits of dirt in a cloud water will gather around it become heavy enough to fall as a raindrop i think that's how it works <laughs> <laughs> now what does that sound like that sounds like ice nine doesn't it that's the inspiration for Ice Nine. And apparently this was weaponized. I fell down a little cloud seeding hole while researching this. Yeah. Weaponized during the Vietnam War. US military wanted to extend the monsoon season over Vietnam to disrupt the military supplies by causing landslides, softening the road surfaces, stop their military supplies getting to them. And this was called Operation Popeye. And it was carried out by the 54th Weather Reconnaissance Squadron, whose slogan was, Make mud, not war. And how do I make this relevant to the problem? Well, I've got that answered for you, Have we come, guys. come full circle? We've come full circle. All these scientists, like Bernard Vonnegut, all he wanted to do was seek truth, discover, explore, make it rain on the desert, do the things that they loved, science, with only good intentions, but... They didn't think how they might be falling into a new job accidentally, which is weapons developer. Mm. Their ideas, like a lot of innovations, were taken by warmongers and used to hurt people. So even when you get the job you love and you feel was meant for you, you still might be tricked to doing in, into doing another job that you never meant to do. Mm. So I think it's a very, very, very small world. Because it's a small world This next all. example I got had a fact involving Kurt Vonnegut. Oh. And I didn't include it because I didn't know who he was and I thought no one would really care. So They still don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it seems, it seems like I have to include it now just because it seems like it was meant to be. Does anyone remember... Let's go back to 1997. Does anyone remember Baz Luhrmann's brief stint as a pop artist? Just the sunscreen one. That's what I'm referring to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was a little bit surprised when I looked into this song because I, I remember that it had lots of general life advice um, and I'd always assumed it was actually written by Baz Luhrmann himself. Uh, turns out that's not the case at all. It's, it's based on a Chicago Tribune column written by uh, a woman called Mary Schmeek in 1997 and she wrote it as like, an essay full of life advice. She said, if I ever gave a commencement speech, this is what I'd say, basically. But the facts involving Kurt Vonnegut was that there was a rumour, even though she'd published it and it was quite clearly in her name, 
there was a rumour that it was written, authored by Kurt Vonnegut, and that it was the commencement speech he was going to give at the MIT, the Institute of Technology. Um, and that was so widespread that when they were recording everybody's free-to-wear sunscreen, they actually approached Vonnegut's lawyer and asked him for the rights. And they were really worried because they didn't get a response about it. And then they eventually found out it wasn't actually him and they managed to get the rights in the end. Um, so as I said, there's lots of really good advice. There's so much good advice in this song that I think as a rule, we should tell our people who write into us to listen to this song first <laughs> <laughs> and then only come to us if they haven't got an answer. It's um, like uh, calling 111. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> the, the bit that's relevant for this problem, it's, it's a fairly lengthy quote. It goes... Don't feel guilty if you don't know what you want to do with your life. The most interesting people I know didn't at 22 what they wanted didn't know at 22 what they wanted to do with their lives. Some of the most interesting 40-year-olds I know still don't. So, I mean it speaks for itself really. If you're a little bit worried that you're not doing the right thing, it's not necessarily the end of the world. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I'm going to commit myself to that. Listen to Listen sunscreen. To sunscreen. Mm. Wear sunscreen. Mm. Don't do anything else. Well, she does say at the very beginning if there's one thing you take away from this, please let it be wear sunscreen. Presumably to avoid skin cancer. And this is a long time ago. All right, cool. It sounds like we're reaching the end of that problem then. Mm. Um, has anyone got any wrap-up points, last-minute points? My kind of wrap-up point was even if you're not happy or you feel like you're not fulfilling yourself in your career, find things to fulfill you outside of your career as well. Yeah, play squash. Play squash. Podcast. With sunscreen on. Be a grade seven guitarist. Stop there though. As soon as you get to grade seven. Yeah. <laughs> no one wants to excel at anything. I had a dream, it was a curious thing. A wonderful podcast presenters problem solved for me. They helped me with my miserable life. I had a fresh new start. La da da. But alas, when I awoke, all I could find was agony. Problem two, I was recently contacted by someone who I haven't spoken to for years and they asked if I would like to go for a drink and catch up. We didn't lose touch on bad terms and they're not a terrible person but I'm really not up for reigniting that friendship. However, so far I've been too cowardly to say no. Do you think I could get away with ghosting them or should I get a grip and reply? This is pretty incriminating for one of us, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> Who is it? <laughs> Let's quickly come up with a name before we... Um... Who ghosts people? Casper, there you go. Casper, brilliant. Oh, but he does it friendly like this person. Yeah, you could be a friendly ghost. <laughs> well, they would be a friendly ghost if you ghost them and they're an old friend. <laughs> they used to be your friend. Have <laughs> uh, either of you two ever been ghosted? Normally I say, have either of you two ever had to ghost someone, but less... Do the horrible end today. Okay, so so just to clarify, ghosting is when somebody ignores you? Yeah. Often, they leave you on red as well. You know, you know they've seen your message, but they've chosen not to reply. So that's mm. like a double sting. It's not happened to me in the WhatsApp age. No? No. I felt like I might be being ghosted on occasion. It's quite difficult to tell though sometimes, isn't it? Like some people just either don't regularly look at the method of communication that you're using with them that's true I don't think I've been aware that I've been ghosted I probably have been but it might be in a mutual fizzle out yeah that's the problem isn't it it's hard to tell whether I suppose a ghosting what differentiates a ghosting from a fizzle out 
is that one of you wants to keep up the line of communication, but the other is just completely cutting it off. Yeah, so the way you message and say, hi, how are you doing, but get nothing back. Yeah, I reckon. Mm. Well, Casper, I'll tell you who do has... Who do has? (laughs) I'll tell you who do has. I'll tell you who do has some information that could be construed as advice for you. (laughs) I don't know if that was a sentence, but I'm sure you understood what I was trying to say. Um, Gloria Gaynor gave us some advice in 1978 in a hit, I Will Survive. What a great song. Uh, it's actually another one that uh, Aaron recommended for me. So thank you, Aaron. You don't have to credit me every time. I do. Because yeah. the, the listeners will know how little work you do for this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, and you should spend more time reading the books than the suggested thing to Liam. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is a very good point. <laughs> spend more time doing No one helps work. me. I'm holding us up. And... <laughs> um, So there's a line in the song that sounds like it could be about a friend who's been gone for a while. It says, so you're back from outer space. I just walked in to find you here with that sad look upon your face. Gloria Gaynor wouldn't give him the time of day. She would recommend that you just tell him to go walk out that door. I think that's probably the most sensible thing to do, isn't it? If you don't want to be their friend, it doesn't have to be hurtful. You can just be direct and say, sorry, I don't want to go for a drink with you. I think it's a bit... But it just um, feels mean, doesn't it? It's a bit to be like, go, walk out the door. <laughs> it does imply that things ended on a bad note, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And it's not about a lover rather than a friend. Um, yeah, but... Probably. Lo- aren't lovers friends, Carl? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> uh, I know what you mean, Liam. I'm I... sure you do, because it was your recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it segues nicely into one of Aaron's. That's why he suggested it. Um... It doesn't segue nicely, but... And that's not why I would suggest it either. I haven't got the, that much forethought. <laughs> <laughs> I never apply that much thought to any area of my life. But I want to ask Casper a question. Are you sure that this person is just a harmless old acquaintance who's found their way out of the woodwork and back into your life? Or could it be that they are a despicable merchant of evil? and death, who is only returning to continue their reign of terror where they left off. Because dictators have form on this. In Look Who's Back by Timo Vermes, published by Quercus, one of the world's biggest historical pricks, I think we can all agree on that, when I name him, Adolf Hitler, yeah. <laughs> wakes up. Prick. Definite prick. <laughs> Certified prick. <laughs> wakes up in the modern day, unaware that he lost World War II and the world has moved on. And he quickly shoots to fame in that book because everyone thinks he's just a comedian and an impressionist and that his act is a hilarious stand-up of Adolf Hitler. Except, even if it was that, and it isn't, the new fame that he gets brings his hateful views to a whole new audience, a fresh and wide audience because of you know television, the internet. And the cycle of hatred just continues. So if your old friend, Caspar who has come to remind you of their existence, has the potential to talk people into thinking that mass murder is a good idea, or even if they're just a bit of a dick. The lesson of Look Who's Back is that you should nip it in the bud. Send them packing now before they weasel their way back into your life and take over a country. Does it have a happy ending? Uh, I can't remember how it ends. I did read this one. <laughs> I just it's don't remember. Film, it. it was a film as well. Yeah. yeah, and I think the film might have been a bit better than the book. I wasn't a big fan of the book, to be honest. Mm. It's an interesting idea, but then you think it's a like a lot of writing prompts that you find online. Mm. You think 
<laughs> that's a good one sentence idea. But imagine if it was a novel. <laughs> Jesus, that's too long. Like a lot of ideas are like, oh, that's a good idea. But then you think, if I had to read 300 pages of that, it's not original and fun mm. anymore. I think you're right, though. I think Cash has to assess the value this person had in your life. So um, to start with a TV show, not a film for once, Ooh. changing tax slightly. Um, recommended by my wife for this problem, Gossip Girl. Mm. Um, XOXO. Aired the- yeah. You looked at me then like you didn't know what Gossip Girl was. Do you know what Gossip Girl is? Have you ever watched it? No. (laughs) I've just seen the Family Guy joke where he goes, I'm Gossip Girl. (laughs) That's my Peter Griffin impression. (laughs) So this aired between 2007 and 2012. The main character is called uh, Serena Vander Woodson, who's a socialite. Um, And, you know, she's got a bit of a checkered past, history of substance abuse, things like that. Do you remember... That contestant on uh, maybe just normal Big Brother or maybe Celebrity Big Brother who were like, I'm a socialist. <laughs> she meant socialite. No, I don't. I love it. <laughs> so Serena used to be friends with a character or a, a woman called Georgina, who is also a mutual friend of her current best friend, Blair. Okay, Blair, Georgina, Serena. So, um, Georgina's been ousted. She's not really a friend anymore. They've grown apart um, because of a series of events in the in Serena's past where Serena slept with Blair's boyfriend. Ooh. And after this, Serena was in a bit of a bad state of mind. And Georgina, because she's a socialite, she's famous, Georgina wanted to make a bit of money. So, tried to get Serena to make a sex tape with Pete. Okay. <laughs> but... During the, they went back to a hotel room. Georgina was getting it ready, and Pete died on the night of the sex tape. It's um, this is what I think people loved so much about Gossip Girl. It's just so real. I know. Yeah, it's really, <laughs> it really gets to the nitty gritty of everyday life. Um, so Pete's dead. This whole episode kind of puts Serena off of Georgina. So they go their separate ways. Serena gets clean. She stops seeing Georgina. Georgina come back, comes back years later and acts like, the ball's under the bridge, let's just be friends. And then she spikes Serena's drink, still hell-bent on making this sex tape. <laughs> Which she doesn't Imagine manage being to... being that ex- obsessed with someone else's sex tape. Oh no, making it. Um, the sex tape doesn't happen, but this bit shocked me, Hannah said. And then Serena missed her SATs. I was like, how old are these people? <laughs> Like what? <laughs> yeah, I think it's um there are quality, only, there are high schools. Yeah, yeah. I've only watched a few episodes of Gossip mm. Girl, but I think they're like high school age and all played by thirty odd year olds, as usual in US telly. So like this was in the past and now she's <laughs> missed her SATs SATs what so so she missed her SATs SATs, Serena's life nearly gets all screwed up. Um and eventually they get Georgina carted off the Christian camp. <laughs> So, yeah, that could happen. So what's the moral? <laughs> I can see your face struggling to find a moral. <laughs> well, you don't, this, you don't know why this person wants to get back in touch with you. Did they? Maybe to, they want to make that sex tape you always talked about. Maybe they're for that sex tape, Casper. <laughs> Go sex. Um, so I would be very wary about a person resurfacing mm. into your life for no real reason. What's their ulterior motive? Yeah. 
Yeah. I think there's always multiple perspectives, aren't there? At least there's I mean, at least one. There's always at least in one. Every situation. <laughs> um, I I actually found one of my not one of my favourite songs. I do like it a lot. Um, I found a song that I really like <laughs> from 2007. Do you um, really which is, like it? Which is, is quite it? relevant here. Yeah. <laughs> so in 2007, LCD Sound System recorded a song. Uh, I think it was a single called "All My Friends." Um, I thought it was going to be Daft Punk is playing at my house. And I'm not sure if that would be relevant. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you say this, I'm like, um, how does it go? Yeah. But expect you to just sing it. Basically. I, I don't think you'll know this one, no offence. <laughs> <laughs> um, but interestingly enough, I was surprised to learn that Time Magazine ranked it as the fourth best song of 2007. So it must be quite popular. What was better in 2007? Uh, I didn't actually look at that, so I don't know, sorry. Um, maybe Umbrella? And, and this song... I don't think it'll be the last LCD Sound System song that I reference because I think James Murphy is a great songwriter. But in general, it's this one is about... It's kind of like a part reminiscence, a kind of part lament and also part celebration of like of lifestyle that he's led and kind of life choices and moments that he's had with his friends. Um, but there's a really, I think, relevant lyric in it that says, you spent the first five years trying to get with a plan and the next five years trying to be with your friends again. And the, I, the, I think the reason that's relevant is because this friend of yours, we all have our own life journeys that we need to go on, right? This friend of yours might have just been away on their own life journey, trying to figure out something about themselves, only to realise that they'd made a mistake in forgetting their roots and needed to come back to their friends, their true friends. So, you know... And this goes back to the multiple perspectives. Maybe from their perspective, you are their roots and they've forgotten their roots. Maybe. That is nice. And I'm glad that you introduced a bit of positivity into it, Liam, because I think me and Carl were getting a bit dark. Mm. And I'm <laughs> going to take it dark again. <laughs> <laughs> it does go back to a, an old problem um, from an earlier podcast about losing or getting rid of your friend, not liking your friends anymore. Maybe someone's realised that they were wrong and trying to come back. Mm. Yeah. Um, number three was Umbrella. Number two was One, Two, Three, Four by Feist. Don't remember that. No, it's not on YouTube anymore. And number one was Rehab, Baby Winehouse. Oh. I'm going to take it dark again, Liam. You brought a bit of sunlight, and now I'm bringing up Mr. Burns's sunlight blocking <laughs> apparatus. Maybe you and this acquaintance, Casper, have issues to resolve, and you don't even realise it. In All the Old Knives by Olin Steinhauer, published by Pan Macmillan. Six years ago, a terrorist hostage situation goes horribly wrong because the CIA's Vienna division bungle it. And it seems like their agent on the inside was probably compromised. Now, Harry Pelham and Celia Harrison were agents on the case and they were lovers at the time. And the case went so badly that Celia quit the spy game for good and went off to live a calm family life. But now, six years on, Harry has reappeared in her life. Henry, sorry, shit. I only said that two seconds ago. <laughs> and I've got it written down. It's Prince Harry, though, isn't it? His name's Henry, but he's Harry. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We'll call him Harry for short. <laughs> he's reappeared, ostensibly just to invite Celia to a lovely catch up dinner. But really, he's finally going to get the truth. I wish we did have a webcam because you're, miss you're missing Aaron's sassy little movements and his sister. <laughs> I do a lot of head shaking. 
Who blew the operation, Henry wants to know, and why? So this book is filled with twists and turns and frankly, completely unbelievable drama. Literally unbelievable. <laughs> and this is another problem I have with a lot of spy books. I've been reading a few spy novels recently because I loved John le Carre so much without want, expecting it. You want to become a spy as well. I wanted to scratch my itch. Hit my itch. <laughs> it's covered, as most spy novels are these days for some reason. Well, I know the reason. In exaggerations about how the author is the next le Carre. Because he's the biggest name in spy fiction and he's brilliant at it. So everyone just wants that name on the cover. When, in this case, neither the writing nor the plot is anywhere near the standard of Le Carre. So it's like, just shoving it on the cover isn't enough, friendo. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Casper, do you have unfinished business with this person that you just don't remember? Did you betray them or did they betray you? And it was too long ago for you to even remember? Could they be creeping out of the woodwork just to tie up loose ends? If so, ghosting them isn't really an option. Because you can't run away from something like that forever. You need to face it. And if you were at all at fault, you need to get into arse-covering mode ASAP. Don't go down without a fight. Shut that shit down. That's all, that's all I'm going to say, Casper. Unfinished business is very relevant for Casper, isn't it? Because that's pretty much the plot of the why there's ghosts in Casper. That's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, Liam. <laughs> Poetry. <laughs> so what if, um, from the person coming back in his life's perspective, you don't know where they've been or what they've been doing. So 1993, Brian De Palma's Carlito's Way sees um, Carlito, Brigante, coming out of prison and he's hell-bent on not falling into the same traps. But everyone he knows is doing it still. He's still involved in the business. His best friend and lawyer, Kleinfeld, he is getting deeper and deeper into mafia territory, mafioso territory, even though Colito is Puerto Rican, so um, not mafia. A very good quote is, um, and Colito's trying to stop him doing it, basically. Colito comes in back into his life, wanting to be straight, but still wanting to be friends with him but not wanting to get involved in the criminal activity. So he starts, buys a stake in a club and he wants to make enough money to escape, basically. Go to an island with a woman he loves and just have a nice life. But just when he thought he was out, they pull him back in. And he's just he's got to get back involved to try and save Kleinfeld when he really shouldn't. And uh, there's a great quote, goes, you ain't a lawyer no more, Dave. You a gangster now. And uh, so... You know, maybe, Casper, um, you don't. What are you doing with your life now? And maybe this guy's coming to help you. And maybe, maybe you don't want him back in your life because you don't want him to know what your life's become. You know, I think that ties in quite nicely with my last point. So, so earlier on, I I said that wear sunscreen had advice for pretty much any problem, and I just wanted to demonstrate why that's true in this particular case. There's another line from, from the essay originally written by Mary Schmeek that says, Work hard to bridge the gaps in geography and lifestyle. For the older you get, the more you need the people you knew when you were young. How touching is that? And, That's you know, nice. it speaks for itself again, but the lesson there is don't be too drastic with your decision to cut them out of your life because you never know when you might need them. <laughs> Keep them around in case they become useful. <laughs> 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 Does this directly contradict our 
advice about cutting people out of your life. <laughs> or be an adult and cut them out. But don't necessarily cut them out. I don't think we'd be doing a good job if we didn't contradict, contradict ourselves. <laughs> we, need, we really need to leave it up to the yeah. people at home to dis- make their own decisions. Well, it's essentially choose your own advice, isn't it? We've yeah. given you some options. Yeah, choose yeah. your own Take adventure. Take a paintbrush. Multiple choice. Mix up the colours. Mm. Mm. I want to see that analogy all the way through to the end. Mix paint, up the paint your own picture. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you don't look convinced. That was tasty. <laughs> I liked it. What's your problem? There's no use trying to pretend you haven't got one. The three of us are here to lend a friendly ear and help you out with all that strife that's lately marked your life. Why not divulge it? You never know, we may have tips that help you solve it. We know it's unlikely, but it's an impossibility if you don't share your problem. Problem three of the presenter's special. Which one of us could this be? (gasps) I seem to have the touch of death. What? <laughs> well, it's any of us then. I've been trying to grow plants recently and I just can't do it. Even when I follow the instructions of experts to the letter, they all die. It's really getting me down. What advice can you give me? My vegetable patch has been a bit of a shit show this year. Ver- not... ver- oh, vegetable. Is it virtual? My virtual um. vegetable patch <laughs> in uh, Animal Crossing. <laughs> Farmville. For the listeners at home, Carl once oh, no. got so addicted to Farmville that he set alarms for himself to know when to harvest his strawberries. Yeah, well, they they grow within two hours, so if you leave them too long, <laughs> then they will. Um, I've got an example of someone who you shouldn't ask about this. In um, in Oasis's 1994 single "Live Forever." They say, I don't really want to know how your garden grows. <laughs> That's good input. <laughs> good so, a bit more relevant, but also not massively helpful, is a traditional song. Another traditional song? Our second traditional song. Do you what know? number is it? On it the... is number 19,626 <laughs> on the Rowdy so we won't know it, Folk then. Index. Oh, you'll definitely know this. It's Mary Mary Quite Contrary. Why is it so low down then? I don't know. I don't know 19,000 <laughs> more than that. Um... Do you, do you know the do you know the rhyme the nursery rhyme? Mary, Mary, quite contrary. How does your garden grow? With silver bells and cockle shells and pretty maids all in a row. Correct. I have a toddler. <laughs> do you know when it was uh, first written? Sixteen eighty-seven. <laughs> that was a very confident guess. Inaccurate, confident guess. Yes. <laughs> no, it was around the 18th century. I think oh. I think it's around 1744, something like that. I didn't write it down. Um, so she tells us how her garden grows, but we don't actually get the information we were looking for, which is how do you get it to grow that way? We just, she just tells us what's in it. Yeah, I don't think she really answers the question. No, but she says and that frustrated me when I was a kid as well. <laughs> that's not how, that's I think, what. I think she does, silver bells and cockle shells. She's naming plants. Are they plants? Yeah, I think oh. so. I thought that's what she's got around. Like <laughs> She puts silver bells in a circle around the plant she wants to grow. Yeah. And the plant goes, I'd like some of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll grow for you. So the point is, 
I couldn't find much on useful advice in songs about how to help plants grow. But I did find something equally interesting. (laughs) Tell us more. Would it surprise you to learn that not just one, many people had thought it worthwhile to experiment with playing music to plants to see if that could help them grow? It wouldn't surprise me. No, it wouldn't surprise me. People hug trees these days. (laughs) These days. In the 60s. (laughs) Such a new thing to do. So, can you guess which genres of music have been found to be the best and worst to play to plants, according to these studies? I'd say best would be classical. Worse would be... Because plants are very cultured. They are. Yeah, they feel cultured, don't they? <laughs> or, oh no, best maybe Peruvian panpipes. <laughs> Peruvian panpipes. <laughs> mm. All right. Any advances, Aaron? Uh, I reckon heavy metal for, for most effective, worst. yeah. Because mm. I reckon um, it'd give good vibrations into the earth. Or Beach that boys. song. <laughs> I'm up good vibrations. Only that song. And then the plant bursts out of the... Floor, <laughs> the earth thing is. So, Carl, I'm going to give you a point for mentioning classical music. Not pampas. It's always fucking classical. I'm going to give it's you. It's like when they play music to kids in the womb, and they're like, "If you play Mozart to your baby, it will come out cleverer. It will come Mo- out talking. <laughs> it'll, it'll be hey, Mum." <laughs> so they didn't mention Peruvian panpipe, so I'm not going to give or take away any points on that and you get one point Aaron I'm going to have to take away a point for mentioning heavy metal because rock, discordant rock music was mentioned as one of the one of the things that they didn't like so this is a woman named Dorothy Retalock or Retalac I'm not sure probably Retalac my, my writing's terrible uh, she was from Colorado Women's College and she wrote a book called The Sound and Music of Plants which noted that plants listening to soothing classical and jazz grew in the direction of the music and, in some cases, even entwined themselves around the speaker in a botanical hug. Mm. Has this been peer-reviewed? I don't know. I would suspect Mm. probably not. Strangely, (laughs) the speaker was always where the sun was born. (laughs) (laughs) If the speaker is next to the sun. So, on the other hand, plants exposed to discordant rock music were reported to show symptoms similar to that of overwatering, and they actually grew away from the source of the music. <laughs> no, not Slipknot again. <laughs> <laughs> what I found a little bit ironic about this is a lot of classical music is more discordant than rock music. So I don't know if they had like a... Here he goes with his degree again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they had like a control group where they were being played like Prokofiev or something. <laughs> a lot of blank faces there. <laughs> Maybe. Is that the sound of coffee machines? <laughs> Let's say yes, <laughs> for the sake of brevity. That is the thing. How do you control? Because is there a genre of music that's just neutral? No, no music at all. Exactly. Did they? Perf- that's the question. Isn't same it? exact same environment. Did they no music. Yeah. Better than plants that had no music played to them in exactly the same environment. And I think the suggestion was yes, they did. Yeah. Interesting. We so, can try it though, couldn't we? Yeah. Oh, I know what to do in my greenhouse now. Yeah, the advice is try some classical, maybe some smooth jazz. 
Something yeah. soothing, nothing too discordant. I think that's the first time you've actually given some quite good advice on yeah. this podcast. Just play them some nice classical music. I'm not sure if that's good advice. But <laughs> <laughs> give it a go, you never we'll know. We'll see, we'll see. It can't <laughs> hurt. Yeah. Well, if you want advice from another gardener, Alan Titchmarsh, heard of him? Yeah, wasn't he in The Great Escape? <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, the theme yes. tune. <laughs> what a callback. That's, um, Was that this episode? <laughs> that's a callback to a previous episode, yeah. I think. <laughs> Sorry, I can cut that out. <laughs> I'll leave you in a bucket. He's written 20 non-fiction books about gardening, including 11 in the How to Garden range and one called The Complete How to Be a Gardener. So if you can't find an answer in a gardening book by him, your problem might be unsolvable. How do, you, how do you tell someone how to be a gardener in 20 books? How do you go around the world in 80 days? Hot air balloon. <laughs> That's oh, how Alan next. Titchmarsh did it. <laughs> so is, um, are, are Alan Titchmarsh's gardening books considered art these days, is my question. Well, I thought you might ask this, Liam. So I thought I'd mention that Alan Titchmarsh has also written 10 novels mm. and one poetry collection. And are they about I thought gardening? I'd mention, this is what I noted down. The subtitles on the Amazon listings for his novels say, by best-selling author and national treasure, oh, God. Alan Titchmarsh. Oh, no. So maybe he keeps his plants alive by the life-giving power of his modesty. <laughs> <laughs> he does have his own chat show, though, doesn't he? And I think that's all you need to do national still have treasure it? these days. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose so. Parky, he's a national treasure. Why don't um, other nations try to steal other nations' treasure? Why isn't Nicolas Cage trying to steal Alan Titchmarsh? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I want to know. National treasure three. (laughs) Ground force assault. (laughs) The ground force awakens. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think the best advice... Is to ask the plants themselves. What plant could you ask? Do I um, you say there was an old cartoon, um, the Attack of the Killer Tomatoes? I think they they yeah. talked. Yeah, not that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That'd be ridiculous. <laughs> Lord of the Rings: The Two Towers, uh, two thousand two, Peter Jackson. Um, yeah, features ants, which are trees that talk and herd other trees. Tree herders are they called? I don't know. Yeah. Um, they have a motto. Do not be hasty. Oh, yeah, because they speak very slowly, don't they? And they yes. think very slowly. Yes. But once they made up their minds... It takes a long time to say anything in Entish. So they are very careful about choosing their words and what to say at all. Did you intentionally slow down there? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've got another quote, which is from the book, so sorry to turn your toes, Aaron. He's not got any shoes on either. But there, my friends. Shall I do it in... Treebeard's voice. But there, my friends, songs like trees bear fruit only in their own time and their own way, and sometimes they are withered untimely. So, I don't think... That's a good David Attenborough impression. (laughs) 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 So, yeah, whatever. Perhaps um, it's not up to you what the plant does. If it dies, it dies. It's not hardy enough. So just keep doing what you're doing, follow the instructions, and one day the plant will blossom and bloom. Mm. Make up its mind. Speak to you slowly. I think yeah. you should be a little bit careful about talking plants, though. 
Yeah. Now, this was a film, so I'm sorry I'm treading on your toes now, Carl. Mm. But I'm not going to talk about the film because I don't know anything about it. Um, I think the film was originally from 1960, but it was made into an off-Broadway musical in 1982. I'm talking about Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, it tells the story of a down-on-his-luck shop assistant named Seymour, who one day finds out that his Venus flytrap can talk. I was thinking the best um, uh, species of plant to talk to you would be a Venus flytrap. They've already got it's a mouth. Yeah, it's got yeah. a little mouth, yeah. ready-made. Um, not only can it talk, it asks him to feed him blood. So he cuts his finger and it starts like sucking up the blood All right, from, yeah. his, from his cut. And ultimately it grows from this kind of tiny little plant and things escalate and it starts asking him for like entire human bodies to eat. Uh, there's a, a song from the musical called Feed Me, which is like this really cool funk song. And the plant's like, feed me. It's really cool. Um how big does it grow to eat human? Does it grow big enough to eat human? It bodies? grows enormous by the oh, okay. by the end of. So there's a, a film from, or oh, I can't remember when the film was. Maybe '86. Um, they made it into a film with Rick Moranis, and it, by the end of the film, it's like it, it will fill up your house, sort of thing. It's like <laughs> at least six or seven foot tall, okay. and a huge like bulb as well. So it's not just tall; it's also wide. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so things escalate really quickly before you know it. Seymour is a slave to the will of his gigantic killer plant. So it's a cautionary tale here, you know. Just be careful, because as the chorus of Little Shop of Horrors advise in the show's finale, whatever they offer you, don't feed the plants. (laughs) Well, Liam, I've got an example exactly like that. I think it's probably a good job this person isn't very good at gardening, because what if they got so good at it that they bioengineered a species of plant which could walk around eating humans. In Day of the Triffids by John Wyndham, published by Penguin, that's exactly what happens. So it's probably best that you're not being successful because if there happens to be a meteor shower which blinds half the world, these plants that you accidentally bioengineer, which happens all the time, don't you? (laughs) When you get really good at something... (laughs) Like cooking. Don't you accidentally bioengineer stuff? (laughs) (laughs) Is cooking not kind of bioengineering? Oh! Yes. Mixing plants together to make a soup. I am so sick of endangering humanity with my accidental bioengineering. Well, I think it was the inspiration for 28 Days Later as well. That's what I read. So it's strange because you think you really don't need inspiration for a zombie film, do you? There's the the zombie genre to help you. Yeah. So it's a good job you're not that good. No, you might be endangering well, humanity. If and you following were. on that theme, I was going to say, maybe it's not worth gardening at all. Because film tells us that plants are pretty scummy. There's not many plants, apart from Lord of the Rings and the Ends, which is actually a book, there's no real redeeming, like, he- there's no hero plants, they're all villains. So you've got. Plants are bad people. They are. So you've got There the Triffids and Invasion of the Body Snatchers, another alien plant mm. film. Um, Evil Dead, a plant sexually assaults a woman, famously, 1981, Sam Raimi. Um, you've also got the Killer Tomatoes series, as Liam also brought up earlier. So you've got Killer Tomatoes, 1978, Tomatoes Become Killers, Return of the Killer Tomatoes, 1988, The Killer Tomatoes Strike Back, 1990, Killer Tomatoes Eat France, 1991. <laughs> Definitely don't grow tomatoes. 
But yeah. um, I've got a garden full of tomato plants out there. You're you worrying me a little bit. Doomed. They're going to eat France. If this is the last po- episode of the podcast ever, you'll all know why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they find this recording. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'll be tempted to uh, to quit the gardening while you're ahead. Yep. And I've got advice for you if you do want to give up the gardening. In 1992, the future, or 2021, depending on your edition of the book, (laughs) global nuclear war, World War Terminus, has polluted the, the Earth's atmosphere so much that most people are moving to different planets with robot servants. I'm talking about Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick. The basis for the film Blade, Blade Runner, Runner. <laughs> published by Orion. Now, the robot servants are the main plot in Blade Runner and the book. But I'm going to talk about a subplot. In this future world, 1992. Can you imagine what the world will be like in 1992? Oh. Flying craft. <laughs> <laughs> Internet. <laughs> no. Well, yeah, I suppose. No, it wasn't. Very Is that 95? Um, uh, I don't know when it went widespread. I think it was invented in the 70s, so you're fine. (laughs) Become silver wear. Because of this nuclear war, all animal life on planet Earth has either been wiped out or critically endangered. So now, owning a pet is a status symbol. And if you can manage to keep one alive, you're the envy of all your neighbours. But if you haven't got that kind of money, which most people haven't, you can buy a robotic imitation animal to fool your friends into thinking you've got a real pet. Do you like my owl? That's what she says. <laughs> In what? In Blade Runner. Oh. <laughs> I thought you meant a woman you know. <laughs> <laughs> Betty down the road. <laughs> um. Interesting name choice. I don't know why I went with Betty. I liked it. <laughs> Rick Deckard, the main character, keeps an electric sheep on his roof if I recall correctly. So long story short, maybe you should give up on the real plants. You're only killing them. Do yourself a favour. Buy a load of artificial plants instead. Your neighbours won't know the difference. And, funnily enough, I stumbled upon a website the other day that sells artificial plants for all the species of plant you could imagine. They sell fake olive trees. You can have a big olive tree in your garden that's just made of plastic. Do they do um, tamagotchis for plants? I should imagine they do. There you go, do that as well. Yeah, although the tamagotchis were fake, like uh, fictional animals, weren't they? So I have a question. Mm-hmm. Do androids dream of electric sheep? That, uh, that question is never really answered in the book. Uh-huh. Have you seen How disappointing. Blade Runner 2049? Yes. This is where Aaron says didn't like it. Did you not like it? No, I love it so oh, okay. much. Oh. <laughs> and I think it didn't get the attention it deserved. No, I thought it was amazing. Just like Dread. Oh, the Dread, Dread is amazing. Carl yeah. Urban. Yeah. So it sounds like we're reaching the end. Is anyone, are you all struggling or has anyone got any last points to add? I'm, I'm, I'm all done for points. Yeah, I think avoid gardening because plants will kill you and your family. <laughs> <laughs> if there's one thing history has shown us... <laughs> is that plants kill have you heard with... of the war of the roses <laughs> oh duh I would go with play them some soothing music yeah. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> to, to calm them down 
I, I should have looked this up. But there, <laughs> so that they don't kill again. <laughs> there's an album, and I can't remember for the life of me who the artist was, but the album's called uh, something along the lines of Music for Plants. So I'd say give that a go. Yeah. Start with that. Work them up to their classical... I mean, maybe try some Debussy. He's pretty soothing. Debussy? Yeah. Ask Debussy. <laughs> <laughs> Where ask Debussy? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sounds like we're out of ideas. <laughs> That's all we've got time for today. If you've got a problem you'd like us to attempt to solve, you can reach us on our group, Instagram and Twitter accounts at Agony Art Podcast or by emailing problems at agonyartpodcast.com. I'd like to thank our resident Agony Aunts for their contributions. Thanks, Carl. Thanks, Liam. Thank you. And don't forget that we have Spotify playlists that we're putting together especially for every episode, which contain all of the songs that we talk about and even some bonus ones that we don't. So they'll be in the show notes. Check them out. Yep. Thank Check you. out the show notes for all the relevant links. Uh, and thank you at home for listening. We'll be back next time with more problems to muddle our way through and more entertainment for you to check out. See ya. Bye. Bye. But I'd suggest keep it light because their advice can be shite and they won't be held liable. Oh no, not at all. Not here. But agony are. Agony are.